0: Welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, female friendship and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuff. Charlie is an award-winning freelance journalist, book editor, columnist, host, and creative. Formerly a senior staff editor at the New York Times and editor-in-chief at Galden Magazine, she's also written and edited for a variety of publications including The Guardian, Dazed and The Financial Times. She's the editor of Black Joy, a new anthology that explores what it means to be black and British today, and the editor and main author of Mother Country, Real Stories of the Windrush Children, a leading exploration of the Windrush generation. Thank you so much, Charlie, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Let's get started. Which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party?
1: So maybe quite unsurprisingly, I've chosen um, three authors, uh, the first of which being um, N.K. Jemisin, who is one of my favorite sci-fi writers. Mm -hmm. I've been working on a sci-fi project for the past three years. um, And I sort of came across her work during that time period. And I just think she's incredible. Um, next up, I believe I put um, Andrea Stewart mm-hmm. I sent you, yeah. <laughs> um, she's also one of my sort of new favorite novelists. She has just finished a trilogy of books, um which I just think are so remarkable, um again, kind of sitting in the kind of um fantasy genre. Um, but the way in which she kind of writes about power and power structures Mm -hmm. and how women fit into those power structures, I just think is so special and and accessible and just delightfully creative. Um, So I'd really recommend her work. Um, And then finally, I believe I put Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. um, And so I worked on a big project about Octavia Butler um at the New York Times uh which just won a press award which is great um <laughs> and she she's just oh my goodness I just don't even have really the words to describe how how just foundational um her work has been to to black writers um in all genres but obviously again specifically looking at the sci-fi genre um mm-hmm. She's just you know she's finally getting her flowers um, in the years after her death and um, she just had such an interesting upbringing and um, just the way in which she wrote about writing um, and the way in which she sort of conceived of her place in the world and also how prescient she was with like imagining what the future could hold and what we needed to watch out for in terms of climate change in terms of you know fascism all of these things like she was just way ahead of her time so um yeah I'm a big big fan of hers as well and I just think the three of them collectively would make excellent dinner party companions and I'd probably be a bit intimidated but but (laughs) blessed to be in their company so yeah
0: that's often the thing with them with these uh these kind of you know Um, these guests that um, people feel quite intimidated by the guests that they've chosen because often they're you know the kind of leaders in the sector that that person works in or like a really kind of incredible um, activist or something like that so it's quite a funny thing to ask to ask people to be intimidated by their own dinner party guests.
1: Well this is it and you know what I was gonna choose Tony Morrison as one of my guests but I was like Realistically, I couldn't actually probably choke out a word in front of her, so (laughs) probably wouldn't be a great dinner party. Whereas I think with the three that I've just just kind of described, you know, I've I've read and engaged with a lot of their interviews, and Mm -hmm. I just think that they are all very sort of not that this is necessarily a a, a thing that one needs to be, but they they come across as that they would be very sort of warm and generous people, Mm -hmm. and um and that's again not to say that Tony Morrison wouldn't be, but I just I. I love her work so much <laughs> She's smart that I think I would be a bit starstruck and that wouldn't that wouldn't be conducive to, to great conversations. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you think that the three would get on with each other?
1: Um, I think they would yes mm. I think that even though Octavia Butler was known as being a bit of an introvert she had some really profound friendships with other women writers and creatives and I think that um, especially N.K. Jamison, obviously like a lot of her work, um, if not directly inspired by Octavia Butler, uh, you know, she certainly stands on Octavia Butler's shoulders in terms mm-hmm. of the canon, so, um, mm-hmm. and then Andrea's like a much sort of newer, a newer writer on the scene. And um, although there, there there's threads between all of their work, but hers are maybe maybe slightly less connected, but um, she's obviously sort of super smart and super interesting. And um, so, yeah, I think they would go on,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and where's this dinner party being held?
1: At my house, obviously. Yeah. Um, You have to do them in a space you're comfortable in, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like having people around. I love cooking for people mm-hmm. um, and making them feel at home and trying to think of all the ways in which I can sort of make the space feel kind of soft and warm and make sure it smells good and you know when people are coming in, I like to have like I don't know like fresh bread or something something good that's like gonna sort of entice people in and 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 make them hungry and make them want to chat and um so yeah I'd have it in, in my house.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean you mentioned fresh bread. Fresh bread. What are you serving <laughs> for your starter?
1: Oh my goodness. Um I believe I actually did put fresh bread.
0: <laughs> yeah. way, is
1: that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
1: yeah I mean fresh bread. You can you can't beat fresh bread. And when I say fresh bread, I don't just mean like any little bread. I mean like homemade, you know, it could be a paratha. it could be some like special like brioche rolls. Um mm-hmm. I really love baking. Um and I think it's one of the ways in which I sort of show love to the people around me is through um through baking of all description um and that involves involves bread making too um so yeah <laughs> What
0: are you are you serving it with anything oil or butter
1: it, it depends I think it just it depends on what type of bread do you want to you want to sit with I guess um I guess the classic is butter but um partial to some oil, oil as well <laughs> I mean, have both. yeah you could have both you could definitely have both um I'm trying to think of like what I have made recently so yesterday I made um I made some flat bread so like super simple just like a sachet of yeast and then bread flour water um mm-hmm. and then you just put them sort of on a griddle griddle pan after about half an hour of like resting time and um I made this like pistachio basil um like pesto and that was really delicious with it so maybe that's what I'd serve alongside it.
0: That sounds great um, <laughs> so you've got your starter going what are, what are you drinking
1: what are we drinking oh um I'm trying to think of, about what they would like that's the question I think it's important to have options is what I'll say I personally I like a fizzy wine so um yeah so like a nice prosecco or if you're feeling really bougie some champagne or something um yeah this is what I need to remember <laughs> isn't it? like these are like my dream guests like yeah, yeah. let's make champagne. we've got champagne and we've oh. got bread um, <laughs> 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 um and and if anyone doesn't drink then they can they can maybe have some some a nice kind of watermelon based cocktail just because I love anything that's got watermelon in it or or I actually had a, a really delicious like coconut margarita the other day Ooh. so maybe I'd make them there, that was real good yeah oh,
0: that sounds good um and what tunes are going to be on repeat all evening
1: so <clears throat> I um the music that I was thinking about for this relates somewhat to my own life mm-hmm. um so I was Al Green tired of being alone <laughs> <laughs> not not because I not because I'm tired of being alone, but because that was the song that I was born to. Um and then the Isley Brothers Summer Breeze, because um, that's my dad's favorite song. Um, and he he was he was someone who was um, you know, in the same way. I mean my, both my parents are musicians and um but my dad especially has always been sort of very good at um just affirming me in myself and in my womanhood and in my feminism he's a very political man um so i want to sort of pay homage to him somewhat um and then beyonce dangerously in love and that's just purely because i went to see beyonce in concert last week and you know she has soundtracked all of the best and worst parts of my sort of (laughs) adult life so um you gotta have beyonce on repeat
0: amazing how how was the concert?
1: It was amazing, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've seen the social well, media. All
0: over my social
1: media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Um, and it it was funny because I think that um, it's I've seen her in, in concert. I think maybe twice before, and um, it, in this concert, it was like so. It's so big and glamorous, and it tells like such an interesting story about her about her womanhood and her sort of development of an artist but it actually in some ways like in terms of um the theatrics of it they're not as much centered around her physicality as they have been in the past Mm -hmm. Because obviously we know her as being an amazing dancer as well as an amazing singer and blah 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 blah. um but it was just it was just interesting to see that and just a recognition of the fact that you know she is getting maybe a wee bit older and you know things change and things shift in our lives and we can't sort of always sustain the 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 things that we once did with ease um yeah I don't know if that makes sense but yeah
0: and I guess yeah it's I, it's funny because she's been performing for so long and a lot of us have kind of just grown up with her presence in like pop culture yeah for sure it's interesting to see how her performances have her
1: shifted body. yeah for sure and I mean I say this and she was still dancing her ass yeah. off
0: so, I it think looks it was amazing
1: yeah yeah it was so it was incredible it was exactly what it needed to be but it just wasn't you know she wasn't kind of like she had an amazing collection of like dancers who obviously I think probably like um you know definitely part of the kind of ballroom scene like the queer sort of dance scene um and and who are like voguing and so on and so forth and she wasn't trying to like throw herself into the splits or anything like that like they were and I respected that so I was like you know what not every day like pull a freaking hamstring or whatever it is (laughs) so yeah
0: and what about for your main what are you serving
1: for my main um we're having TEP belt noodles Mm. um and that comes from a Restaurant near my house, um, called Silk Roads in oh, South London. Yeah, um,
0: one of my favorite restaurants. Like-
1: is it? Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. And this particular dish, which I have like learned to make at home, is just so delicious. It's like these really thick, kind of like ribbony noodles that you kind of hand pull, um, and they're actually really simple to make, um, and it's kind of served with this like tomatoey um sauce, and then like like egg. Um, and it sounds weird, but it's delicious, and it's know, so For
0: the yeah. listener, I can back it. I can back it up. It's like <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <super laughs> velvety egg and really rich tomato and pepper, and then the belt noodles are like chewy. Ah, oh, it's so good, and it's kind of it's quite spicy, but not super spicy. Yeah, delicious,
1: delicious. <laughs> um, and I think it's from a particular province in China. I think mm. that it's from, yeah. I
0: think it's um northern Chinese. I think yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I, I'm amazed that you can, I try to make the belt noodles in lockdown, the kind of so yeah. handful of bang, bang noodles, and I yeah. did not go very...
1: Oh, <laughs> really? i have to the recipe. I, I found this dude on YouTube who'd, like, really workshopped them hard, and I just followed his, his uh, sort of, his way of doing it, um, and cut some corners, and they still turned out pretty good. So, yeah, I think um, I can send that to you. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: and, and what about for pudding?
1: So for pudding, we would have a pandan cheesecake. Um, and that is just on the basis that um, pandan is delicious. I was in Thailand um, doing some writing last year um, and I ate a lot of things that were flavoured with pandan. It's like a kind of particular type of, um, uh, I guess it's like a leaf um, and it's distilled into kind of like a, a an essence which you can like use in in sweet dishes and savoury dishes um and yeah like a a good pandan cheesecake is is a thing of dreams it kind of almost tastes a bit it's very fresh and like almost a tiny bit coconutty um but yeah it's unusual I've never really had anything like it but it's really really good and I've I've yeah you can get you can get pandan cakes from um like some of the Chinese bakeries in Chinatown. So yeah, if you, if you can't be asked to make it yourself, then that's where to, to go grab one from.
0: <laughs> that's a good pudding. Cause it's not super kind of heavy and rich. It's quite light. The flavor of pandan is quite light.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: So your guests are kind of full of amazing Chinese food. Um, the red wine is still flowing, I presume
1: yes the champagne sorry we're sorry, having yeah, champagne we're we're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the champagne is flowing yeah
0: um what's what's kind of the plan next are you guys going out after or are you just kind of, <laughs> I
1: kind of think, oh my goodness I kind of feel like the dream yeah would be to kind of because they're all like, incredible writers I would like try and convince them to like share some of their works in progress or something like that so we do a little sort of like little sharing circle that's yeah. what I like that's
0: oh that's so nice that's lovely yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't it's not like maybe it's not the most exciting thing but for me it would be really exciting because I just think yeah I, I I would devour anything that any any of them wrote so
0: well I think that makes sense you know you've got <laughs> incredible writers that you have been really inspired by in the past suddenly in your home <laughs> you have to you have to share some kind of writing with them For sure, for sure. So you're kind of ending with like a writing sharing circle. What do you think would come out of that?
1: Oh, the dream. The dream would be that I would share a bit of my writing and they'd be like, wow, that's real good. Here's some (laughs) some advice on how to make it even better. Um, And or, um, I don't know, like that they would all become really good mates and we'd like hang out all the time hmm. that, those would be the two dreams I think <laughs> okay.
0: I think those are those are good dreams would you so they would kind of all make the move I presume are they all American or am I um, uh,
1: yeah they are actually that, that was not intentional but yeah they
0: are would you make the move over to the US or would they all move to London No, oh, they'd move to London
1: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. The South, the South London specifically just found important yeah. the maybe they would even create their own commune there is yeah. there's a few there's a few communes in South London so could sort them out with a few a little house for them to live in <laughs> um and then yeah then they'd host me for some dinner parties and it would be, it'd be gorgeous
0: that does sound lovely so you've got a whole, a whole life planned <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and what kind of time do you think it's ending within a party
1: um I think quite early mm-hmm. uh, I don't imagine I don't know for certain I might be completely wrong but I don't I I don't imagine that any of them are massive party goers Mm. um I personally I like a dance Uh, maybe NK would like a dance I'm not sure it's hard to know isn't it um (laughs) (laughs) um, but I think Octavia would probably want to want to be getting home to kind of recharge her social battery and do (laughs) some some more writing for sure um yeah maybe maybe Andrea would like a dance I don't know I'll have to ask her yeah
0: (laughs) um I mean on the kind of topic of like female friendships and, mm. and that kind of thing. You, you've recently started writing a new column on female friendship for Stylist magazine called Friend Requests. Um, I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners relate to the complexities of finding female friendships and, and a community in your 20s and 30s. What do you hope your column might provide um, for those who are reading it? Mm,
1: that's a good question. I am... Um... I think that there's a few things. I think that firstly, I would hope that anyone reading it um, kind of walks away from it understanding that they can start to reframe their friendships in such a way that they are not lesser than their romantic relationships. Mm. Um, I think that will be for me personally, like a lifelong challenge because the way in which the world is set up doesn't cater to that mindset Mm.
0: Mm.
1: and then secondly i I hope and i know this is maybe a bit basic but i do hope that that people sort of read it and through the stories that other people share within the column and that i share within the column um just understand that none of us are alone in struggling with friendship Mm -hmm. um and a lot of the things that we sort of when we're going through them feel absolutely catastrophic whether that's a friendship breakup or whether that's being rejected from a friendship clique or whether that's struggling with like interracial friendships or whatever it is Um, knowing that other people have also been through those experiences can be very healing and um, and can help you sort of move forward from them sort of knowing that like you difficulties that you've been exposed to are part of existing in this world and and there are people who are willing to sort of hold your hand through that I suppose Mm -hmm. um yeah and there are a lot of people in the world I guess is the final thing and I think even if you have struggled for a long time with finding people to be your friends or maintaining friendships that's not to say that there won't be people out there (laughs) for you um who are also kind of like looking uh, the same things that you are within your friendship, your friendships. Um, Yeah. I think those three things mainly.
0: Have you kind of learned anything from starting the column about yourself or about the friendships that you have or have had in the past? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that one thing that I've been very conscious of and I, I, I know that I'm going to moving forward, will need to be careful with is like, obviously a lot of my friends read the column <laughs> and um, even if I'm not writing about them explicitly they will see themselves in things that I write and so I've had a few people message after things have gone out being like oh was this referring to me or was this something that I did or whatever it is and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't referring to them but people were delicate beings right like and we're not there's not a lot of safety to be found always in um or security to be found in our relationships because sometimes they can feel unstable and sometimes you're afraid that actually that person thinks worse of you than they actually do there's so many things that can can boil up and boil up and i just think that um as someone who's writing about it i just need to be very um thoughtful and intentional in not sort of um not sort of uh, disrupting any of my own friendships accidentally by um, writing about them in ways that 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 uh, are not accurate or true or um, or harmful to to the people around me. So I think that's one thing I've learned. And then beyond that, I think in terms of like just as I said about what I hope other people get from it, I think that's also what I get from it in terms of just making sure that I you know especially going into 30s and starting to think about like whether or not I want to have kids and all this kind of stuff like there's no reason I mean there is a reason but I think that I'm going to work really hard to try and keep prioritizing my friendships even though it will become the be more I will have more pressure on me to conform to the more sort of heteronormative box that 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 many of us kind of shift into when we when we reach our 30s and start having kids so um, yeah.
0: I think you've touched on a really important point about that um, prioritization of, of friendships and, and how as you do get older, other priorities kind of start to kind of come into the frame as people go into their thirties and others start having children or they start having children. And like you say, there's kind of um pressure basically to to have kids and not prioritize your female friendships. And I guess, it's just a really important point and 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 uh, you know, that to make about how women uh, often lose friendships because of that heteronormative pressure, I guess,
1: yeah, for sure. And I think um, I think it's hard on both sides, right? Like I think that from what I understand and from the reading that I've done and the interviews that I've done, um the women who have kids, um it can be really hard to know how to um to keep a tether on on their previous lives. Mm. And for women who decide not to have kids or who haven't had had kids yet and who kind of feel like they've lost a friend to to child rearing. <laughs> um, it can be really hard to know how to sort of um to you don't want to intrude on someone's life, but you you want to maintain and um maintain what you had and but also not force someone to be something that they're not anymore. So I, yeah, I just think there's, there's it'll be interesting. I've not really, I've got some friends who have kids and one close friend who has a kid, but I'd say the vast majority of my friends are still quite far off that period of time. But I am really curious to see how it kind of plays out and like, you know, what how how we're able to be creative with it like there are so many creative solutions to it and it doesn't have to be some big scary negative thing it can be something that's really beautiful and um really wholesome and really holistic and um you know I looked to my parents who um took a I guess it was not a radical approach to like child rearing but I definitely kind of was I think I was maybe the first kid who was around a lot of their friends and I was just like you know I was just about and I was just like passed around at functions and stuff (laughs) Um, and I know that's like very optimistic because you just don't know what the reality of your um your life is going to be like when you have a kid there's so many variables but um it's that sort of mind I I, I want to go into it with a positive mindset at the very at the very least and um and I think you know friendship is a massive part of my life and I would be um yeah pretty devastated if I if I weren't able to continue to um to hold on mm-hmm. to my amazing friends, so, yeah.
0: I mean, your other work um, includes a co-editing a collection of essays on the Black experience called Black Joy. Um, oh. And you wrote that uh, you, you don't believe that there's a substantial body of work on Black Joy in the same way there is about Black trauma, mm-hmm. even though they often exist in tandem. Why are the essays in Black Joy so important? And, and did you feel it was an act of resistance editing the book?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it kind of, it, um, mm-hmm. publishing in, back in 2020 was obviously having a moment um, mm-hmm. in terms of being interested in hearing the stories of Black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK and the US and beyond um in a way that it hadn't necessarily been actively seeking before um so I had quite a few publishing houses sort of come to me and ask for ideas and ask if I'd be interested in doing anything around blackness Mm -hmm. um but for me I don't think anything felt right other than sort of trying to trying to challenge um challenge the sort of narratives around around um I, I, our identity that were kind of being put forth in that during that period of time um and it, it, it can sound quite how do i phrase this it can sound quite um uh like tepid almost to be like oh blood joy like almost like it's kind of you know joy is an amorphous thing it's not like a singular um entity and it and and I think it can it can sit in a space of like uh that doesn't hold a lot of weight mm-hmm. um but I think for me this was about as I say in the book it was about joy as an act of resistance and resilience and um and I think in all of the essays like every single essay there is there are moments of pain there are moments of sadness mm-hmm. um because I think as I work right in the foreword, one cannot exist without the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was super proud of the essays that we put out into the world. And I think they do paint a beautiful picture of like Black Britain in a different way than we've seen before. And um, in terms of like the canon, um, there's now been quite a few other books that have been explicitly about Black joy, which is really gorgeous to see. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, happy that, I'm happy that um, we're part of that of that mm-hmm. legacy.
0: How do you feel that your experience as a young Black woman navigating your industry has shaped your career?
1: I mean, I think it's not, it's not even so much that it shaped my career, but it like is my career, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was starting out in journalism, I um, sort of very quickly became frustrated by the fact that... um, I felt like the stories that I wanted to tell and the experiences that I saw um reflected in the mainstream media were not reflective of wider society and specifically of marginalized communities that I was a part of but also marginalized communities that I very much wasn't a part of you know like it was um yeah there's like there's lots of small incidents and so when um Gada magazine was started up by live little in Bristol at Bristol University in 2015, I believe it was um I was told about it through like two separate acquaintances and then I went along to the first like London meeting and um I remember sort of just being on a phone call with my dad on the way out of out of the meeting just being like, yeah, this is what I've been waiting for like you know this is why this is you know I was just so enthusiastic and i just i i felt like this was the thing i was this is going to solve everything i've seen and make everything better <laughs> um so yeah it was race and identity have, have have shaped my career from the outside set partially um intentionally like my own intention and partially because of where i've been positioned and placed by um a very white very middle class industry um and it was it it was easy to be boxed as something quite specific from the outset so um yeah
0: yeah I mean do you you often or have you often felt kind of tokenized by your industry or or your your sector because
1: yeah yes but I, I I'm almost quite like bored of that conversation if that makes sense like it's not yeah, I have been tokenized. Every black person in the industry has been tokenized. It's not going to change anytime soon. The ways in which we sort of press up against it are systemic and 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 are kind of bigger than the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so like yes, I have been tokenized, but I'm I'm just not I think at this stage in my career I'm like not that interested in like dwelling on it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um thank you so much, Charlie. Um, for a wonderful dinner party I had Mm -hmm. an evening I love the food um, the writing circle I'm not a writer I do like writing but I'm not a writer so I just felt like you guys kind of did your thing (laughs) and I continued you know drinking the champagne Um, I always ask my guests one final question Um, what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist either for yourself or for those around you
1: question I think um I think there's a few things (laughs) I don't know if it's just one thing Um,
0: multiple (laughs) things is very welcome (laughs) um
1: I think that um on an everyday basis I'm continually trying to like um like negate my own self-talk and um and disrupt the kind of gender rules and gender norms that i see existing within my own relationships um i did an interview with someone this week and i walked away from the interview and i realized that the man i'd been interviewing was like incredibly sexist but it mm-hmm. took me a hot minute to like <laughs> to realize that that had been the problem if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and i was thinking about whether or not i was gonna include that one of the things that he said within the interview in this piece that I'm writing about him and initially I was like oh you know probably didn't mean it it's fine like you know it's probably not that relevant and then I was like actually no no. <laughs> no like it's important that like as much as this man is a great man in many ways like as a journalist it's important that like there is some accountability for the words that he said and um and so that that some of the quite overtly sexist things you said will appear in the piece you know um so I think it's it's in terms of small things stuff like that for sure um making sure that my work is um is reflective of my sort of continual ongoing forever ongoing learnings around femi- feminism I still feel like I have so much to learn so much to read so much to understand um and then yeah and then in my day-to-day relationships just just trying to push up against the the many awful things that I have internalized about my body about my relationship about the power structures that I um exist under and within um yeah that's that's not a very optimistic note to end on is it <laughs> well, it's,
0: a, it's a thought-provoking note to end on and that's it's great um kind of advice as well um thank you so much Charlie for joining us today
1: No problem, thank you so much for having me.